All right, guys, welcome back to Revive School. We're continuing our study. Uh, this is crazy. We are in the ninth segment. Kevin, the ninth out of 10 segments. Literally, we've broken up all of the scriptures, 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. It's broken up into 10 segments. We're in the minor prophet segment, ninth segment, which means we have one other one, which is the book of Revelation, which starts next week. How crazy is that? We're going to begin to unpack the book of Revelation next week. But until then, we're going to keep studying these minor prophets. I mean, so far, Kevin, we have gone through nine minor prophets. We've gone through Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum. Yes, after Nahum, Kevin? Habakkuk and Zephaniah. And now here we are in the book of Haggai. Uh, Kevin, can you go to Hebrews twelve twenty six? Hebrews 12, 26. Let's just get this party started as we begin to dig into the book of Haggai. I'm willing to bet most of us that are listening to this, watching this, haven't really quite studied Haggai very often. In Hebrews 12, 26, it said that this, at that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he is promised. Yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. Kevin, this is the only time that Haggai is quoted in the New Testament. One time. All right, let's keep unpacking this. The little is really known about uh, this prophecy. I mean, that's kind of the reality. It's kind of a common theme, is it not? Oh, we know Habakkuk's name. Yeah, well, we know Haggai's name. I and mean, that's kind of the... Uh, he's mentioned briefly, if you want to go to Ezra 5.1 for me. Ezra 5.1, uh, Ezra 5.1 and Ezra 6.14. Ezra 5.1 says, Now the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, the son of... Edo or Ido, whichever one you get excited about, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem. So Kevin, you already know a little bit about this prophet. He's clearly speaking to the Jews who were, Kevin, in what region? Jerusalem. In Jerusalem. And can you go to the kings and the prophets? So here you have Haggai. Ooh, look at this, you guys. Haggai is what, Kevin? After. Woohoo! We made it past the... We're past the Babylonian captivity. So now he's talking about... Like, well, we'll get into all of that. Remember, you should start seeing, I mean, look at this language. Haggai is also running in the same time frame, Kevin, as Zechariah, right? Hence, we just talked about it. But you're going to just see it at least twice. Uh, now, go to Haggai 2.3. This is kind of an interesting little fun fact for you. Uh, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? So he is going to be speaking to people, right, that are now outside of captivity. And they're talking about, do you remember the good old days? That's really what they're talking about, right? By asking this question, some would say maybe Haggai was a part of an experience, the temple before it was destroyed. There's a thought behind that because he's asking this question. If that's the case, then Haggai was at least 70 years of age when writing this prophetic word, when talking about this. Again, you can't assume that, but I do like that perspective that people bring to the table. Uh, a couple other things. Uh, the occasion of which his four prophecies, okay? John MacArthur would say there's four prophecies that are clearly specified. You don't need to go there, Kevin, but uh, in one one two four two ten and two ten, again, there's four prophecies uh, that really talk about, and they would occur within a four-month time frame. Okay, a four-month time frame, okay, kind of interesting, in the second year of the Persian king, King Darius. So in 520 BC, in the second year of Darius, 
there's going to take place four specific prophetic words that he receives. Now, most likely, they would say, Haggai, okay, this comes from John MacArthur, likely returned to Jerusalem, okay, from Babylon, okay, with Zerubbabel, possibly, possibly, 18 years earlier in 538 BC. Again, nobody officially knows, okay, the point is, is that Zerubbabel goes, right, Kevin? He goes back and does the first wave. We'll get into that. Then there's a second wave. The question is, is when when does Haggai begin to experience that that wave? Now, if you want to go, Kevin, even more so in Ezra 1, 1 through 4. okay. there's a uh, plot in 538 B.C. Okay, MacArthur spells it out this way. As a result of the proclamation of King Cyrus, Israel was allowed finally to return from Babylon. Okay, to her homeland under the leadership, okay, of Zerubbabel and the spiritual guidance of Joshua, the high priest. Okay, or Joshua, as some of the language says. At that time, 50,000 Jews returned. Okay, so from Babylon, Kevin, where are they going? Back to Jerusalem. That's really important. Okay, so now they're being released from the Babylonian captivity by King Cyrus. Okay, he has favor with God's people. He releases that word. 50,000 Jews are coming back. That's in 538 BC. Okay, they're sent out. Now, in 536 BC, they begin to build the temple. 536 BC, they begin to rebuild the temple. You can find this in Ezra 3 through chapter 4. But again, you got to start tying all of this together. Okay, so here they are. They're coming back. Now, here's where it gets really crazy. MacArthur says it this way. The opposition from surrounding neighbors and indifference by the Jews caused the work to be abandoned. So they had, quote unquote, started the process. And then because of naysayers, because of doubt, it just kind of stopped. 16 years later, okay, 16 years later, Haggai and Zechariah were commissioned by the Lord to stir up the people. Okay, does this make sense? When we say stir up the people, it means speak truth into them. Yeah, they're stirring the pot. That's where I got the whole pot thing earlier. That's what you say. <laughs> So what are they doing? They're stirring it up in two ways. MacArthur says it. First of all, guys, why aren't you rebuilding the temple? And two, hey, guys, it's time to reorder your spiritual priorities. First wave comes, Kevin, right? Zerubbabel comes and they're rebuilding it. Haggai and Zechariah are releasing a prophetic word. I'm doing a lot of this right now. It's a lot of this right now. Guys, I need to rebuild, but I also need to reorder your house. As a result of these prophetic words, remember, they came 16 years later. This is kind of cool. In 516 B.C., the temple was completed in 516 B.C. So basically, when Haggai and Zechariah commissioned it four years later than Kevin, it actually was rebuilt. So in 516, you can know that the temple was uh, completed. So the theme of Haggai is guys Let's build the temple. Or if you want to have it, the language, let's rebuild the temple. However you want. But either way, it didn't look good. They started the process and now they're like, guys, in fact, he's like a spiritual general contractor, right? (laughs) Guys, get the work for the Lord and don't forget the plumbing. Plug in the, you know, the three ways. Like they're just getting things going. 
and do it in humility. <laughs> hey, guy. All right. So they're rebuilding the temple. This is the beauty of this whole thing. And God motivates them to do this. This is kind of interesting. God motivates them. Hang in there with me, guys, please. God motivated them by what? He brought drought upon them. Right. Think about this. He brought drought, crop failures. And so all of a sudden it says this in Haggai 1, 9 through 11, because they have misplaced, MacArthur says, spiritual priorities. He uses those disasters like, man, we do need to get something in our act together. We've got to start putting our eyes on the Lord. So the temple, you guys, it always has represented his presence. Right. Always. The temple has always represented his presence. The problem is, is that when the temple was destroyed, they're kind of like, man, God's glory has left. Like, that's the mentality. That's the image that's happened. God's glory is left. So when they rebuild the temple, they're now saying, Haggai and Zechariah saying, guys, let's welcome the presence of God back into our lives. But ultimately, this rebuilding of the temple points to our phrase that we're going to talk about uh, really the rest of this morning. Is Our phrase is, is that it's the greater temple. The first temple... Uh, that we ever really saw was considered the tabernacle, right? I mean, that's, I think that's pretty clear was, was a tabernacle. I'm going to go by some dates that MacArthur put together in place. You know, again, please hear me say this. Some of these dates could just be off a little bit just on how you look at it, but I want to show you the progression. The tabernacle is one. But then Kevin, who came in and built the temple, the second, the, the first temple? Solomon. Yeah, Solomon. So you're looking at 966 and it goes till 586. And we know that famous date, 586, because that's when it was destroyed. After Solomon's temple, we've already talked about this, was a crew led by Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel's temple, right, came into place in five, and we talked about this, 516, right, through 169 BC. So Zerubbabel's temple was finished. This is really important because Haggai and Zechariah implemented and said, guy, we got to get our, we got to get our act together. We want to welcome the presence of God because of their word four years later, it happens. And that was 516 BC. So this took place because of two prophets. Now, in all of this, then you have what, what many people would call, and we've kind of combined Zerubbabel's and, uh, and, and Herod's temple, but it's really, there is a little bit of a difference. So you're going to see Herod's temple comes into play, and you're going to see it, Kevin, in, I have this written down as 19 B.C. through A.D. 70. So here's what you have. You have these physical temples that we've been talking about. In the Jewish culture, Jewish language, Jewish religion, Right? They come before the Lord with a physical temple. The problem is after Zerubbabel's temple, Herod's temple was there and it was destroyed by the Romans in AD 70. So there's no more physical temple. None. Okay. We still don't have it today. Well, hence Jesus comes in. Okay. He ushers into us the death, burial and resurrection, which gives us salvation because of salvation. Okay. Then the scripture then says in first Corinthians six nineteen, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. So here it is. Here, well, let me finish. Thank you, Kevin. First Corinthians six twenty says, for you are bought with the price, hence death, burial and resurrection. So glorify God in your body. So our bodies are now the temple of God. The temple of the Holy Spirit is inside of us, okay? So there's a big shift in this mentality of temple, okay? The Jewish people are waiting to what? Rebuild the temple. They're waiting to establish the temple. But we would say temporarily right now, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the temple of God. Anybody? We're all good? Okay, so in this, this is what you have to understand, though. 
Okay, we have always talked about this. This really gets really interesting. In Daniel 9, 2, can you go there for me, Kevin? In Daniel 9, 2, okay, it says, In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books of the years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. This is talking about you guys, okay? Same thing in Matthew 24, verse 15. I'll tie this in together. This is really interesting. Matthew 24, verse 15, okay? Says this, so when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. So here is the language that you can see. There is what many people would call the third temple. Okay, Kevin, in our language, you see that as a temple, you see that as a temple, right? So when they're saying the third temple, this is what they're talking about. They're saying there's going to be a third temple. Now, here's where it gets really interesting. Okay, this is going to be somewhere during the tribulation. Okay, this third temple, so to speak, is where the Antichrist stands in the temple and then brings about the abomination of desolation. He says, I am God. So the thought behind this is, is that... um, they are, the Jews are literally ready to build a third temple. Okay. But now here's, let me make this a little bit. This is going to take place in the seven years, right? So you have the new temple, which is us right now, right? The temple that's inside of us. Okay. But the Jews are saying there's going to be a physical temple. You got to understand that. Okay. Right now there's nothing in Jerusalem that has a temple. Okay. So the third temple is coming. Now here's where it gets kind of bizarre. Some would then make a difference. Not everybody does, but I want to just show you the case that there could be what you would consider Ezekiel's temple. Remember in Ezekiel 40, 41 and 42, many would say that this then takes place during the millennium. So you have Ezekiel's temple, but now here's where I want to go for our word for all of Haggai. Okay, now there's John MacArthur labels it like this. The eternal temple of his presence. And I'm going to just put here of his glory. And when does this take place? This takes place in the eternal kingdom, as John MacArthur puts it. So in Revelation 21, 22. Okay, Revelation 21, 22, this is what I'm talking about. I, and I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. <laughs> okay, I think we've painted a whole picture here. To me, this has become super helpful for me. To understand. So now this, this right here, Revelation 21, 22 ties into our phrase, okay, the greater temple, uh, Haggai 2 9, Kevin. Haggai 2 9 says this, the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. So the greater temple will experience peace, declares the Lord of hosts. You catch this? So the greater temple, okay, the greater temple that's going to experience the, the glory of the Lord will bring about peace. We'll get into this, but I should just say it. It's going to bring about peace and prosperity, divine rulership, natural blessings. MacArthur says in all of this is possibly going to take place in the millennium and or the eternal kingdom. If you make the distinction at this point. Okay, so why do we unpack all this? Because really the book of Haggai is all about pointing to the temple. And the question is, is which temple is he talking about? Well, clearly he's talking about that one, Zerubbabel's temple. Clearly that's what he's talking about. Like, we're going to rebuild this, guys, if you get your act together. But then I also wanted to just say, well, clearly he's beginning to unpack Ezekiel's temple and or the eternal temple of his presence. 
So let's go to Haggai 1, okay, if we can. Let's just begin to uh, see how much farther we can go. Haggai 1, 1 through 11, J. Vernon McGee really just says it's a challenge to the people. That's really all this whole thing is. is look, there's a, there's a, a, char- a conflict of interest, okay? You're going to be seeing, seeing during the second year of Darius, in the sixth month, Haggai, which could mean uh, feast or festal one, okay, during a time of a festival. You're going to see Zerubbabel, Sheathol, Joshua, word of the Lord. And then in verse 2, here we go. Says, thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. They're saying, no, it's not time. Interesting enough, as it continues on in verse three, Haggai, though, is given the word from the Lord. And he says uh, in this in verse four, it's time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins. In other words, oh, okay, you're okay in living in posh houses, but you're okay with the temple looking like this. You don't care about the presence of God here, but you're okay with your comfortable lazy boy and your, you know, your, uh, what are those things, Kevin? Sectionals and, you know, you got your gas fireplace going, but you don't care except God's foundation is just lying there in ruins. He calls them out, man, in verses five through six and seven. He just says, man, I need you to change your ways. Consider your ways, he says in verse six. He says this in verse six. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you've never, you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You always want more. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. He who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. In other words, you just keep spending. And then in verse seven, he says, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. I would say at this point, you should probably listen up. Consider your ways, consider your ways. Go up to the hills, bring wood, build the house. Like he's starting to tell them how to do this. Spiritual contractor, here we go. And he says, I may take pleasure in it that I may be glorified. The whole point, you guys, of this temple is to experience what? The glory of the Lord. He says in verse nine, here we go. Let's do this. You look for much and behold, it came to little. When you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? Declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins. While each of you busies himself with his own house. Oh, I think I need to put on uh, new shutters in my front. I mean, I'd like to actually. I think about that. I'd like some new landscaping in front and on the side. Yeah, you promise, Kyle, you're always thinking about that and you don't care about my house over here. That's what he's saying to those guys in Judah and Jerusalem. It's crazy. He tells them what to do. You go to the mountain, you bring some wood and you build the house. This is exactly what he says. And then in verse 10, therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew. The earth has withheld its produce. Kevin, remember when we talked about the drought and the everything is not is, is being impacted. So can I just tell you this? God withholds the weather because of sin. I think it actually happens in America. I believe it happens worldwide. If you don't keep your eyes on the Lord, God will use the weather to get our attention. Tornadoes, hurricanes, storm, hail, uh, crazy heat, drought, whatever. I've called for a drought on the land and the hills and the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth on man and beast and in all of their labors. I'm choosing to do this because you're not putting your priority on rebuilding the temple. Hopefully they begin to get this. It continues on. And then Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatol, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all of the remnant of the people. This is a cool picture, isn't it? Obeyed the voice of the Lord, their God. And the words of Haggai, the prophet, as the Lord, their God had sent him and the people feared the Lord. So something shook and changed because Haggai released the truth. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I'm with you, declares the Lord. So as you go to rebuild, I got this, you guys. He says, then finally, in verse 14, it's kind of a cool picture. And the Lord stirred up the spirit as Zerubbabel. 
the son of Sheotol, governor of Judah. And then look, he stirs up the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all of the remnant of the people. Like, I actually believe when it says they're stirring the spirit, Kevin, I actually believe they have a passion, they have a desire, and they want to do this for the glory of the Lord. They want to do this because they want to come and serve the Lord. It says, and they came and they worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. All right, so here you have Haggai 1. So Kevin, up until this point, just give me a brief synopsis, quick summary of Haggai 1. He's The people aren't working on the temple like they're supposed to. They're comfortable with their houses. Uh, Haggai gives them a word and says, hey, pay attention. And they do it. And they all do it. And Haggai 2.1 says, In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Sheatol, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehoshaphat, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people. Here's what I want you to say to him, Haggai. Who is left among you who saw this house? We talked about this. Who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? In other words, here's the problem. They're looking at what's left and these people are becoming, I, I love what John MacArthur says, they're like a wet blanket. They look at what they're supposed to be rebuild and all of a sudden there's criticism. I don't want to, look at this thing. This is nothing like Solomon's temple. This is nothing like the original where the presence of God resided. And that's the question. It's really directed to the leaders and the people that might have possibly been a part of the remnant that experienced this earlier And it continues on in verse 4. Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high high priest. And then he says it again. Be strong, all you people of the land. Declares the Lord. Work for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. It's okay that it doesn't look the same. He says, I'm with you according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. You have nothing to lose. This is my idea of a project. This is my idea. I want you to implement it because the presence of God wants to dwell Back in this place. For the Lord of hosts says this, and you'll see this, Rich, you even reference this offline. But there's a common phrase, the Lord of hosts, that you would see. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while, I'll shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. I mean, guys, this is already just so you have a bigger picture. It's a picture of the millennial kingdom. This is a picture of what's to come. And it says this in verse 7. And I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of all of the nations come in. And look what he says, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. In other words, I'm going to clean house. I mean, Kevin, this is kind of the language that we always hear. I'm going to take care of all the nations. I'm going to shake the nations and that their nations will come in and you will be satisfied and I will be glorified in all of this. He continues on in verse eight. He says, oh, uh, the silver and gold belong to me. This is the declaration of the Lord of hosts. And then I love verse nine. It goes to our phrase of the greater temple. This points to the Messiah is better. Okay, you got to hang in here with me than any of the other temples. Now, what he's talking about here, Kevin, is is the Zerubbabel's temple. Yes, the latter glory of this house shall be greater than Solomon's temple. That's that's what the thought is for these people. And in this place, I'll give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. But can I just tell you, this is a foreshadow of the greater temple in Revelation 21, 22. If I think I, did I say that right, Revelation 21, 22. So it's that whole picture again, you guys, of yes, he's talking about this time frame, but yes, he's talking about this time frame. And then he's also looking back to that time frame. Continues on in verse 10. On the 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. And then he continues to release this. 
Thus says the Lord of hosts. And he says, ask the priests about the law. In other words, I want you to receive a, a ruling. And there's two questions, okay, that he begins to unpack. Okay, <clears throat> two questions. Basically, here's what he's saying. He says, hey, look, if something is holy and it touches something else, does that make itself holy? The answer is no. Then in verse 13, there's another question, okay? If something is uh, uh, unholy, okay, uh, yes, that's right. If something is unholy and it touches something, does it become unholy? The answer is yes, <laughs> right? In some regards, like, but the holiness does not transfer, okay? The unholiness does. So there's two questions that begin to unfold. If you go on, Kevin, into verse 14, then Haggai replied, so this is the people and this is the nation before me. This is the Lord's declaration. And so is every work of their hands, even what they offer, there is defiled. Whew. This is building off of the two questions. Now reflect back from this day. In other words, their hearts are far from God. That's the mentality that he's getting. Now reflect front back from this. Before one stone was placed, uh, before one stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, what state were you in? How did you fare? When one came to a heap of 20 measures, there were but 10. When one came to the wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were but 20. I struck you all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail, but you didn't turn to me, says the Lord's uh, declaration. Verse 18, it says this, Consider this from the day forward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Right, Kevin? So it's already been laid. That's important to understand. It's already been laid. Consider this. And in verse 19, is there still seed in the granary? The vine, the fig, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have not yet produced, but from this day on, I will bless you. So because of your faithfulness in saying, building this, guys, I'm still going to bring about prosperity. Okay, I'm going to give you peace with this temple, right? That's some of the language that we've already talked about. I want to go there if I have this. So you're going to see that we already know that peace is going to come. We know that prosperity is going to come. Uh, Kevin, if you'll keep going to 21, I just want to jump to verse 21 because of time. You, you know that divine rulership, as MacArthur puts it, divine rulership is going to come. Governor of Judah, speak to Jerubbabel. I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. Verse 22, I will overturn royal thrones and destroy the power of the Gentile kingdoms. I will overturn chariots and riders, horses and the riders will fall, each by his brother's sword. So when you begin to rebuild the temple, peace, prosperity and divine rulership. Now, in this, just one more component in verse 23 says this on that day, I will take you, Zerubbabel, son of Sheotol, my servant, and make you my signet ring, for I have chosen you. This is the declaration of the Lord of hosts. You will begin to see in all of this, you guys, uh, blessings unfold. All because you guys decided to build upon the foundation. And that's really what you begin to see uh, in all of this. Now, let me just say this. There really is a lot. Uh, there really is a lot in in this text of Haggai one, Haggai two. I think the thing that's the most exciting to me is when you just pull back and you go back to our list of tabernacle and temples. <laughs> uh, Kevin, you remember they didn't really want to build the Zerubbabel's temple. They didn't really want to do it because they wanted the good old days. You know what I hear though is that God says I have something greater for you. I have something greater for you when you let go. Of yourself. And I love, I love this Mindy's painting. When you actually submit yourself to the Lord, I have something greater. You can experience my glory. We're seeing that in the present temple right now in 1 Corinthians 6. But ultimately, you guys, what we're going to see in the end is all of these things when Christ comes back.
when the greater temple, and it says in Revelation 21, 22, when we begin to understand that there will no longer be a physical temple, but ultimately the temple will be Christ in all of that, that's where we can find out. In all of that, that's where we can find peace. That's where we can find prosperity. That's where we can find that he is in charge. And that's where we can experience the blessings from the Lord. This is the book of Haggai. My prayer is that you'll begin to see he wants us to experience greater things. And those greater things come only through Christ. Have a great day, guys. We'll talk to you tomorrow.